0: Hello, and welcome to the Community IT Innovators Technology Topics Podcast, where we discuss nonprofit technology, cybersecurity, tech project implementation, strategic planning, and nonprofit IT careers. Find us at communityit.com. Thank you for joining Community
1: IT for this podcast, part one subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits listen for part two in your podcast feed Um, welcome everyone to the community it innovators webinar series we're so happy you could join us today for today's webinar on protecting your nonprofit from financial fraud we're excited to partner with your part-time controller for this webinar to get some of the best financial processes advice from them on how to add another layer of protection on top of IT and technical preventative measures. We're gonna talk about wire fraud in particular today with some examples, but we'll cover other scams and schemes also. And we also invite you to subscribe to our email list. We don't send a lot of emails, we just send updates on the webinars that are coming up that we offer. Uh, so you can attend in real time and ask your questions as you can today. Uh, We have a lot of free resources and downloadable material on our website, too. Before we begin, if you're not familiar with community IT, just a little bit about us. We are a 100% employee-owned managed services provider. We work exclusively with nonprofit organizations, and our mission is to help nonprofits accomplish your missions through the effective use of technology. We have about 40 staff and we started in the DC metropolitan area over 20 years ago, and we now serve nonprofits across the US. We're technology experts, and we are consistently named a top 500 managed services provider by Channel Futures, and that's an honor that we received again in 2021. So let's get into the webinar today, and I'd like to start by introducing myself. Uh, My name is Carolyn Woodard, and I'm the marketing director at Community IT, and also the moderator for today's webinar. Before working in marketing, I was a, program, a project manager here. And before that, I was the IT director at a large international nonprofit and a program director at a small national nonprofit where I was the point of contact as a client of community IT back in the day. So I have been on both sides of the table and I love how community IT has a lot of staff here with experience working at nonprofits. And we really get the community and the constraints and opportunities and needs. Many of you submitted questions at registration, which our panelists will do their best to answer. I'm joined today by Carol Melvin from
2: your part-time controller, YPTC. Carol, do you want to introduce yourself? Thank you, Carolyn. Good afternoon, my name is Carol Melvin. I'm a senior manager and market leader for YPTC's Washington DC office. I began my career as an auditor for Deloitte, and I am a CPA, uh, much like many of my colleagues at YPTC. We are ex-auditors, and many of us are CPAs. My combined nonprofit experience includes 20 years of accounting, auditing, and audit management budgeting and best practices in nonprofit board administration, including serving as CFO for several nonprofit organizations. And like Carolyn, there's another parallel. I also was a client of YPTC before um, jumping over to the other side. So in my current position at YPTC, I uh, serve as the senior manager market leader for the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia region. I facilitate relationships with clients and staff, conduct practice development, and I also provide accounting, reporting, and management services to nonprofit clients myself. I'm a member of the AICPA, the American Institute of CPAs, and the Greater Washington Society of CPAs, and I serve as a member of the GWSCPA nonprofit section a little bit about YPTC. Your part-time controller is a professional services firm that specializes in nonprofit financial management with nearly 30 years of nonprofit expertise. Next year, we will celebrate 30 years. Um, Our services include accounting, reporting, data visualization, and best practices, to name just a few. We have over 1,000 clients currently located throughout the US, as well as clients in several other countries. We are a staff of over 300 and growing, uh, working in our eight regional offices and in our YPTC Anywhere nationwide virtual office, serving clients on-site or remotely, providing nonprofits with accounting services nationwide. And we are very proud to be voted a best place to work for over a decade. And uh, this past year, we were named to Accounting Today's list of best accounting firms to work for. And now I will turn it over to Matt to introduce himself.
3: Great, thanks for the uh, the introduction, Carol. It's um, really good to have you uh, join me today to talk uh, about our topic about uh, combating wire fraud. Uh, my name is Matthew Eshelman. I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Community IT, and I've just celebrated my uh, 20 years uh, with the with the company. I actually have a little bit of time before that um, as an intern and have now been in my current role for a while and really focus on helping uh, our internal team manage the IT infrastructure for the 140 clients and 6,500 people that we support. Uh, and then also am a resource for organizations to help them manage their cybersecurity as well. So I look forward to getting into lots of great content today. Uh, we've got a lot packed in here and uh, I think it's gonna be a really, Valuable and engaging session. As Carol mentioned, or Carolyn mentioned, feel free to, to chat in questions as they come along. Um, but first, I actually do have a, uh, a poll for you. I uh, would love to get a sense of who's attending the webinar uh, today. So go ahead and just take a, a minute or so to quickly respond in terms of what is your role uh, at your organization and you in the IT department, finance, uh, operations, uh, other. Um, admin um, so just to get a sense of of who who is uh, attending the the webinar today we've got a lot of content uh, I think for for all uh, for all interested parties. So it looks like we're pretty evenly distributed here uh, in terms of people playing lots of uh, lots of different roles at their organization. So that is fantastic. today we are going to be talking uh, a little bit. we'll start. Uh, with a little bit of the cybersecurity landscape. Uh, We'll talk a little bit specifically about wire fraud, Uh, and what that means, and how organizations can protect themselves. We're going to show some specific examples. I think it's particularly helpful uh, to kind of see how these types of attacks are perpetrated, Uh, and perhaps you'll see uh, some some techniques that that seem very reflective of what you've experienced at your own organization. Uh, And then finally, we're going to talk about how to protect your organization. So I think it's really important to move from understanding these concepts to talking about uh, the specific steps that you can take at your organization to help protect, uh, you know, the the data and your organization's finances. So, jumping in and talking a little bit about the cyber security landscape. If you've been uh, on our webinars, some of these things may seem. Uh, we like to start with laying this groundwork. So what we see as an organization, as I said, that supports about 6,500 nonprofit staff is that we see that there are persistent and ongoing attacks uh, against your online digital identity. So if you can log into something from the cloud, uh, it means the the bad guys can too. And so uh, we see that happening all the time. Uh, We also see that organizations are targeted with really sophisticated um, spear phishing. And we'll go into that in more detail uh, as part of the presentation. We also see that organizations are uh, targeted because of the work that they do. Uh, Mostly that applies to to kind of think tank and policy groups. Uh, I think especially with some of the current political environment that we are seeing now with, uh, with Russia and Ukrainian threat. Uh, we're seeing organizations that work on international uh, issues, specifically targeted. Um, And then we also see schemes targeting vendors such as ourselves, and I think vendors like YPTC as well, that have access and insight into a great number of organizations. So organizations like ourselves are targeted as well. Um, We also see that You know, organizations are not always aware of all of the new security tools, there are lots of good um, products out there that can help organizations combat these increasing security threats. Um, And I think we also see that nonprofit organizations generally have fewer cybersecurity fraud controls in place. Um, we also know that nonprofits, a lot of nonprofit organizations have not taken those proactive steps to implement things such as an incident response plan. And so that data uh, comes from N10's cybersecurity report uh, from back in 2018. Um, and so that is a, is something that we see pretty commonly uh, across the organizations that we're working with. Um, and then we also know that there is a real impact to these financial uh a real financial impact of these threats to nonprofit organizations. So fraud is not just something that happens to somebody else or happens to only big organizations, um, but we see that data from Kaspersky's small to mid-sized business impact shows that there are direct costs of about $149,000 uh, associated with cyber incidents. So Carol, are there things that you see in the work that you do as well here?
2: Yeah, and that, that really mirrors what we are seeing, Matt. So we know that nonprofits can be particularly attractive targets for fraudsters. Um, We know that often executive directors who are passionate about their missions are often naturally trusting of others who share their interest or at least pretend to. Um, And board members um, who are dedicated and talented in their particular fields may not be as well-versed in financial issues and internal controls um, in some cases. And we also know that um, nonprofits of all sizes may have limited resources available to address the internal controls. So that $149,000 that you mentioned could potentially be very devastating uh, to Mm -hmm. some of these small nonprofits. and this makes them vulnerable to those who use as, as an opportunity to commit fraud. And, and as you said, nonprofits are particularly vulnerable because they think it will never happen to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had one case um, of a client, and this was in the early days of the pandemic, um, seems like a long time ago, but in the summer of 2020, uh, one of our clients, and, um, and this was in the news, so I'm not breaking any confidentiality here, but one of our clients, uh, Phil Abundance, Uh, who provides food to people in need um, in Philadelphia, where they were scammed out of nearly $1 million in a cyber attack. And this was at a time when they were serving far more people than ever before, uh, because of the pandemic. And, you know, here they are serving this great need, and then to prey upon a a social uh, philanthropic organization, it's, you know, it's almost unthinkable. But that's why we're talking about this because we do have to think about it um so we'll discuss this you know the details in of this case a little bit later in our presentation but um as you said Matt these uh the fishers fishers who targeted philabundance they were sophisticated um and um and and it can happen to um to everyone mm-hmm.
3: yeah so the data that we uh you know take a look at this is provided from um the FBI, fbi's uh, Internet Crime Complaint Center, uh, and so this shows just the increase in the amount of cyber crime uh, over time. So here we can see, you know, starting in 2016, there was about 1.5 billion dollars worth of um, cyber crime activity. You know, you take that all the way up into 20 uh, to 2020, and we're now at you know 4.2 billion. So that's a, as uh, Carol helpfully added in here, over 165 percent increase um, of you know kind of direct total loss. And so, uh, this is not something that that just happens to to somebody else. This is something that happens to you know organizations within the you know within the the community that that we serve, and uh, that rate is only increasing. So you know this is something that we also keep tabs on and is mirrored by our own data. The number of cyber attacks that we see launched against our nonprofit clients uh, is not going down over time, but it is in fact continues to to go up. I think it's also important for organizations to understand that you know cyber cri- it is it this is a cyber criminal enterprise. Mm-hmm. This is not just you know the genius hacker in somebody's basement uh, doing this for for kind of fun, um, but there are in fact organized cyber crime adversaries that are well funded, uh, and this is a business venture for them. So up here, I have some iconography from uh, CrowdStrike, which is a an endpoint detection response group these uh, adversaries represent fancy bear uh which is a russian based um hacking group that goes after state sponsor or is a state sponsored actor that goes after uh international groups and businesses and then also uh we've got uh cozy bear which is uh another a uh, Russian based group, along with Pinchy Spider, which is responsible for a lot of uh, ransomware attacks. And we also actually just today, uh, some reporting came out that actors such as Evil Corp uh, is responsible for over a hundred million dollars in earning from cyber crime. Uh, and so we can, uh, under, when we think about this as not being you know, opportunistic hacking, but, but really focused criminal enterprises, I think it can help to change our perspective and the protections that we need to have in place to help combat uh, these threats. And when we think about cybersecurity, this is a, a, a graphic that we use at Community IT quite a lot, where we talk about cybersecurity protections really being first rooted in policy and then training and awareness for staff. Uh, that's really our, our first line of defense. Um, then once we have that out of the way uh, or, or invested in, then we can focus on some of the other technical areas where there may be some specific technology solutions in place related to protecting your digital identity, the data that your organization has, the devices that you're using, your network perimeter, such as it is, that could be at an office or, or now, perhaps that's your your home or just your personal office, the web protections. And then after we have those things in place, then it may be appropriate to move on to, to next gen tools. But we really wanna root the protections that we put in place at our organizations with policy and training.
2: Right, and, and that training is so important because uh, the technology and the process controls um, you know are, are, are useless if we don't um, have uh, the humans that are involved um, actually you know employing those practices. Um, so we know many nonprofits have sensitive data about the vulnerable people that they serve in their missions, um, but are they doing a good job of securing it? Um, and this it's really important to note that as nonprofits think about this, um, they need to think about this across across the organization. This is not solely the i t department's um problem or the finance department's concern you know it and and it includes beyond the development and the fundraising folks as well it's really it's the program folks it's everyone's job uh to be aware um and follow the policy um we know of one nonprofit that sent an email with an unencrypted file that included personal information about um, their constituents um, sexual assault survivors um, so you know what happens when a leak of uh, of of uh, those those um, those uh, child sex abuse survivors names you know gets leaked or domestic abuse survivors get posted on some list um, the results could be uh, catastrophic even deadly so you need to ask yourself if, if you're treating that data with the respect it deserves and are we taking the necessary steps uh, to prevent that We also know that um, uh, often nonprofits will have, you know, either some homegrown or customized software systems um, that that may also make them more likely to be vulnerable. Um, and they don't often have that dedicated um, IT person um, and someone, you know, someone in the organization will be charged with putting together the security policy. Um, so it's, you know, it's really, um, there's a lot of different pressures on the nonprofits. And another one is that Um, Another pressure in the cybersecurity landscape is that donors want nonprofits to spend only a certain amount of money on overhead, Um, and they don't realize that their own contributions may be at risk because nonprofits may not have the ability to protect that data um, or the funds that they get from those donors. Um, We are starting to see that change, um, especially in the last few years. We've seen um, some of the larger foundations um actually establish cyber initiatives to respond to growing cyber threats, so we are we are seeing a response to this uh, increase in cyber activity that matt uh, that Matt showed us.
3: yeah, I think that is uh, an encouraging trend to see um and then I think it's also you know I think good that we're having you know kind of this joint webinar. Uh, because I think this is one of those areas where, you know, responding to wire fraud, it's it's not just a technology issue, it's not just a, a finance issue, but it's something that, you know, many different departments need to, to work on and collaborate together uh, in order to have the best protection. So uh, we'll take another opportunity to ask a poll question here. So for you and uh, your organization, have you experienced any of these Uh, types of cyber uh, attacks. So whether that be spam, or spear phishing, or uh, an account compromise, you know, whenever somebody else other than the intended person has had, um, you know, access to your account, uh, maybe your organization has been impacted by, you know, kind of the standard malware or virus activity, uh, or maybe ransomware, or maybe, you know, you or your organization has been a victim of of wire fraud, uh, be good just to understand uh, the landscape uh, and see where it mirrors, you know, some of the broader trends that we see. So, give folks just a few more seconds to respond. In this is multiple choice, and <laughs> it would not be uh, unexpected if if your organization maybe has been, uh, you know, victimized by by some or or all of these different controls here. Uh, so, thanks for. For that response, and we'll uh, share the results so you can see uh, everybody's experience. And so, again, not uh, uncommon or maybe unexpected. I would expect 100% of organizations to, to say that they've seen uh, spam or uh, spear phishing attacks. Uh, again, about 15% of organizations have had an account compromise. Uh, you know, 20% you know virus, malware, 33% up in that range. About 15% of the respondents have uh, said they've been uh, their organization's been a victim of wire fraud, and then uh, a small percentage, six percent, has been a has experienced ransomware. Um, and I would say that that really does, I think, mirror our own um, experience of of trends. So one of the things that we'll be talking about, and I'll actually be doing a presentation on in in two months, is just the continuing trend of our nonprofit. Incident report, uh, and so here we can see uh, there are two scalings of the the data here, but we can see that yes, most organizations, or we see a lot of uh, attacks that are email based. So again, spam and spear phishing, uh, with a significant number of account compromises uh, occurring, and that number has been increasing over time, uh, and that number, you know, will. As I was looking at the data from twenty twenty one continues to increase uh, so that's something that we're really attentive to uh, overall, you know the number of wire fraud attacks or successful wire fraud uh, cases that we see where an organization has suffered some financial loss is low uh, overall but as as Carol mentioned, you know that amount or that loss can really be significant. So if an organization sends, you know, a million dollars out the door, uh, that's, you know, a tremendous financial loss. Uh, and then we are seeing an increasing sophistication in the kind of number and maybe near misses of those wire fraud attacks that our organizations, uh, that our organizations experience. So, Uh, let's have Carol talk a little bit about uh, asking some of those questions to help better understand your organization's risk profile.
2: Thanks, Matt. So um, if you are a nonprofit, it's very likely that you are processing donations. You may have online event registrations. Um, You are most likely storing some sort of personal information for program participants, um, collecting information on donors, or or uh, membership uh, subscribers um, initiating online vendor payments. And um, if so, your entity is at risk for cybersecurity threats. We know that uh, two main reasons that nonprofits are ideal targets for hackers and cyber criminals. We we mentioned that one, they don't see themselves as target and uh, therefore don't prepare adequately um, often and two, Cyber criminals, as, as Matt said, they're very sophisticated. They view nonprofits as easy prey, sitting on a wealth of personal information about their support staff, donors, volunteers, and the communities that they serve. Uh, donor records, sensitive client data, confidential details about employees are all at risk of threat. Um, and we know that, um, you know, if, if, uh, nonprofits weren't paying attention uh, before, or, you know, they weren't prioritizing that in their budget, you know, due to limited resources. Uh, that complacency may have ended after the 2020 ransomware attack on Blackbaud, which uh, many of our nonprofit clients um, use as a financial system, Blackbaud and Razor's Edge. And this affected many organizations, charities in the United States, um, so you know it may have been nice to have um, for some nonprofit organizations, but now um, cyber security policies and um, and protection is a is a must have um, because we know that for nonprofits reputation is everything. If an organization suffers a, a breach because it was careless with data. Um, they're they're going to lose donors and um you know that nonprofit's reputation and the ability to raise money you know may be forever uh jeopardized so it really is um it is really critical and um you know that sort of brings um to the forefront a lot of these data protection laws so if you are you know processing doing any of the following on this slide um you do need to um be, become aware and, and make sure you're following data protection laws. Um, so, in general, these laws require businesses who maintain personal information to to have safeguards in place to protect that personal information, have protocols in place to notify individuals if a data breach does incur does occur. And um, you know, there's not really one all-encompassing federal data privacy law. Um, there are some like HIPAA um, that covers um, healthcare, um, but every state will have different data breach legislation. Um, uh, Maryland, Virginia, uh, New York have all, you know, increased their, um, broadened their cybersecurity um, legislation. But um, even if uh, your nonprofit doesn't have a physical presence in a particular state, if it's collecting personal information about a resident of that state, it typically must comply with that state's laws. So you may need to research other individual um, state laws as well.
1: Thank you for joining Community IT for this podcast, Part One. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits. Listen for Part Two in your podcast feed.
0: Community IT does these free webinars and podcasts for our community, and we love sharing our knowledge and experience. If you have more questions or are having trouble with your IT at your nonprofit, please get in touch with us on our website, www.communityit.com, so we can start a conversation or schedule an assessment. Downloading any of our free resources there will get you signed up for our webinar reminders and you can attend our next webinar in real time and ask our experts your own questions. If you love podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits.